Hi, and welcome to Conversation with Leaders. I'm Tanya Brown, a commercial lead in the Strategic Pursuits team based here in Sydney, Australia. With me today is Louise Higgins, the CFO of technology for ANZ Bank. Lou, thanks so much for being here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Um, certainly, and, and firstly, thank you, um, Tanya, to you and the AWS team um, for having me. So uh, similar to yourself, I live in Sydney, uh, married uh, two children. Um, like everyone else, I'm still navigating uh, the challenges and joys of working from home. Um, and look, my I think my <laughs> my career is is pretty diverse and, and my background and probably best defined by I pursued the things I was interested in and, and didn't pursue for very long the, the things that I uh, wasn't. So, uh, you know, as you can see from any LinkedIn profile, very brief stint in law, um, but then quite a decent stint with the BBC in London, um, which was a pretty amazing time. Um, as it was during a period where that was the, the pivot from analog to digital, if you like, and had a pretty um, enriching experience across production, operations, uh, finance, business administration. Uh, took a very diverse career change uh, after that in investment banking for a few years and, again, did a lot of um, pretty different roles from, you know, global liquidity to setting up shared service operations in India. Um, and then took another pivot, which played back to my background in media and ran radio stations for six years uh, as COO for Nova and Smooth, which was a, a pretty amazing experience. And again, it was during a time that uh, no, a lot of Nova success was supplementing their kind of traditional radio business um, with new digital um, adjacent companies they were acquiring or partnering with or JVing. And then that was probably um, certainly at a very senior level, um, the first experience of, of living in a world where you're, where you're bridging the two, mm. um, you know, a legacy business with a, integrating with, with its new part of the business and looking to pursue opportunities in both. Um, left there for a brief stint uh, in a digital startup, but really um, realised that actually something I do enjoy is the transformation of, of legacy businesses and took on uh, a pretty big challenge uh, with the Australian broadcaster. So um, a public service broadcaster, not dissimilar to your BBC or your NPRs. Um, and again, a big legacy uh, business, 85 years old, and oversaw the tech, uh, the te uh, of quite a significant or the beginning certainly of in the design of a, of a technology transformation that still continues and endures today. Uh, and then about a year ago, um, started it, started A and Z. So that, that probably gives you a bit of a sense, um, what interests me and, and some of my background. Yeah. And you touched on that a moment ago, obviously the diversity of your career, um, across multiple industries, media and banking, um, your role in startup and then moving to kind of op strategy finance. Um, can you tell us a bit about your journey to CFO at ANZ? So I took a career, executive career sabbatical. Um, but during that time, one of the boards that I sat on was Kudos Bank, uh, a fantastic um, small uh, bank that started as a mutual. And I sat, uh, I chaired their board subcommittee for technology. Mm. And so I had this really um, fantastic time out as an executive, um, but still very much keeping across, looking again, it's it's interesting. I think I have a, a thing recently for businesses that are over 80 years old because <laughs> um, Kudos 
uh, was of a similar vintage, but it was of that wonderful size that led by a very good management team could really get its arms around and and have a lot of impact as it transitioned, as its customers transitioned to a digital world. Um, it was able to make that transition even as a legacy business quite successfully. And so it it, it kind of got me thinking. Um, and I and I guess it kind of came to a bit of a, you know, I wanted a bit of a Goldilocks choice that having led something um, that was very full on at the ABC mm. isn't something I really wanted to jump into again. But I definitely wanted that ownership you get as an executive that you don't get as a non-exec yeah. um, of still working with businesses going through their their technology transformation. And then I was really fortunate um, that the role came up at ANZ that it gave me exactly that. Um, I work with the technology um, division that is really pivotal to ANZ success and really partner with them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the role of CFO is pretty broad. Um, It's got really a a big focus on on driving the best commercial and strategic outcomes for tech and for ANZ. Um, and And it's a real gift. And I guess in many ways, um, my transition to this role through a very non-traditional finance path, if you like, um, I think is of a huge benefit because it's not like I've only sat in front of a spreadsheet and looked at the numbers. I actually know um, myself how hard it is to do this work. Mm. We are increasingly now seeing a trend of CFOs in, in all businesses having come from line uh, management roles or operations because they are bringing a bit more of a, a broader uh, breadth and depth of experience. So that's, uh, that's what's brought me here. That's great. And we'll, we'll touch on that kind of non-traditional background uh, in a little bit, actually. But one thing that you mentioned there that, that I'd like to dive dive a little bit deeper on was around um, leading large-scale business transformations. Um, why do you think it's important that the CFO should be involved in that process? And from the business transformations that you've led, um, what, what do you think the best role is for the CFO to play? And should the CFO be leading it or is that better left to another? the C-suite leader? I, I, think, I think the first thing I would say is as, as all businesses, as, as most businesses, um, actually I'm struggling to think of any that wouldn't, uh, they're becoming, let's call it digitized in some way, shape or form, whether that's the way they're distributing their products to customers. You think about broadcasting, that's now kind of an on-demand. You think about banking, uh, completely similar um, in an online distribution, and even um, internally for most customers, perhaps their mode of distribution hasn't changed, um, but certainly their value chains or supply chains or production. Um, so technology um, is increasingly at the core of what they do, even if they're not a technology business. Yeah. So I think everyone senior has to be involved. I think from the chairman down, there has to be um, – you know, call it leadership, vested interest, passion. Um, it's only, you know, I, I've seen it successful um, in, in a couple of cases where it, it was exactly that case. You had that passion, that accountability, that ownership, that leadership was driven from the chairman down. Um, and it permeated through the board, um, the leadership ranks, and as many levels as below as as possible. So I think that's that, I think that's a really important 
statement first off that it can't just be a couple of executives um, who are passionate about this or, or see the importance of it or, or the buy-in. It's simply th- these transformations are really complex, they're high stakes, and they don't work um, unless everyone uh, is very bought in to the need to essentially transform um, and they see the value that technology will bring. I think within that ecosystem, the CFO has two really important roles to play, and I'm, I'm being overly simplistic. Mm. But, but you know, moving moving from a, if we think about it, uh, moving from a legacy um, approach to technology to a more virtualized estate um, has a real disruption to your PL, real disruption to your economic model. Um, you're going from a world where you know you bought kind of hardware, mainframes, servers, um, big physical assets that then were amortised across your PL over a period of years. It was it was well known, well understood, and then just using this as an example, you're pivoting that um, to an opex world, and that opex is hitting companies' PLs long before they're getting any relief off this previous hardware world. And I know that might sound really simple and that might sound really small, Mm. um, but I've often found that's often quite a a pivotal moment for companies in understanding there are benefits, um, huge benefits to be had in moving to this virtual world. Um, And they're widely understood whether they are the benefits of the speed to deliver to your customer or the benefits of which no longer supporting a legacy state and the, the, you know, the cost efficiencies that it brings. But you're asking um, a business, you're asking a P&L, you're asking a board, you're often asking shareholders to take quite a leap of faith to say, we're going to disrupt our P&L, we're going to disrupt the way we've thought about finance or funding models, and we're taking a leap of faith that there is value in this economically on the other side. And so if I so the CFO has a, a huge role to play and it really can't be underestimated, and, and I've seen this at a number of companies now firsthand, in bringing all of those really important stakeholders um, along the journey. So so the first role the CFO plays is really um, helping the business understand how much of a change this is going to mean financially and economically and, and how does it help the business navigate that journey. I think the other big role that a CFO plays is often what I call the business translator. So technology, um, as they should, are focused on the technology outcomes. Yep. Um, and they're often um, people of great technical experience and depth, but they're not necessarily um, the commercial nature of what they're doing isn't always front of mind. And it needs that translation. And I often joke that I feel that that is, um, a, tends to be in whatever role I'm playing, CFO, COO, a huge part of my job is how do you translate what technology is looking to aspire, which has got the best um, interests of the business, and translate that back um, to the business stakeholders and so that they've got this confidence that what's happening technically over here is actually really underpinning and supporting um, business strategies. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, 
And what guidance would you have for other finance leaders on on how to approach valuing transformation initiatives? And you mentioned it a minute ago around it's it's beyond that TCO cost saving. There's huge amounts of business value, but but how do you how do you approach valuing that? Yeah, I think this is a really good question because I don't I don't think we should diminish um, traditional valuation models. Um, because there should be, yep. um, uh, uh, there should be, and there is a very good um, return on investment. Be as you're moving from this legacy world to this to a, to a virtualized estates. But the, I think the challenge businesses have is it occurs over a long period of time. So most technology transformations, I think, of any size company, say over. 5,000 employees, you are looking at somewhere between three to eight years. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a that's a real leap of faith for companies, right? To say if we use traditional models and we look at your RO, look at a, ret- a return on investment, and I'm not really going to see that return till after the five or six or seven or eight year mark. Um, you know, how comfortable and, and confident are we in that? That's that's a real kind of tricky leap of faith for companies, and also. Um, there's valuation models, but there's actually um, what I find really interesting: some some psychological barriers that you don't necessarily anticipate. Because you, because I can actually cast my mind to lots of capital projects over the years that have had long payback periods, but everyone's been relatively comfortable with it. But I think the difference was in those days you were building something tangible that you could see, feel, depreciate. Yep. Um, and now you're really going through a bit of a psychological barrier to, to say we're often not building it. It's run by someone else. <laughs> you can't see it. Yeah. And you have to trust us that we have to invest um, not just CapEx but a lot of OPEX into this endeavour. Mm. And it's actually going to have huge consequences, as I just discussed outside of technology. So it often kind of really radically reshapes other aspects of the organization. And trust us, the ROI stacks up in year eight, right? That is that is really, don't underestimate. Um, if this was easy, we'd all be doing it. <laughs> and so I think, you know, it's not it's not just about the numbers and the valuation models. There There is a psychological barrier um, to get people through. And don't underestimate actually a, a, a more, if, if you know there needs to be comfort around the numbers I found in, in a in a couple of cases now what often builds the compelling case is actually the do nothing yeah so so for companies to sit down and map out and say well if we didn't do this what's the world looking like for us? Um, and so that means continuing to maintain um, it probably in a very expensive way, legacy assets, because you've often got them on life support. They're well past their end of use mm. or you're going to go on quite a costly endeavor to replace them. Um, you can start to quantify what's likely to potentially happen to your market share um, as you're not able to compete with either your internal processes or your distribution to your customers. You can add to that that you're probably taking a risk as you're continuing to sweat this legacy estate and so on and so forth. But in any technology um, transformation, it sounds um, a bit cliched and a, and a bit motherhood. It's often just not about the technology. It is about 
getting everyone comfortable and taking people along that journey. And that's where, again, I come back to the idea of the CFO's really got to be this important bridge that they're trusted because they're independently looking at this, but they can really convey with confidence, um, particularly in an area that's new to most businesses, why this is important and why this stacks up, um, particularly for both internal uh, stakeholders as well as external. Um, but is going to get the best outcome for the business. And so that might be the way that technology funds projects. So think about the uh, the, the, the old, I was about to say bad old days. Maybe <laughs> I, I've, I've got too much trauma from old waterfall projects. <laughs> but, you know, you think about that pivot from waterfall that people knew, understood, I liked, or be you spent a lot of money and years later you might not have still got a relevant outcome, yep. <laughs> but it was no one trusted I liked it, even though I knew it wasn't right, to an agile way, right, of, of squads, tribes, very different um, ways of funding um, projects. And again, you just cannot underestimate the psychological barrier mm. that companies have to go through um, because companies um, are risk adverse. They like to play it safe. Um, the way that we've worked in the past has worked and it has been successful. The way that you're doing things over here um, can look a bit risky and a bit different and um, make people quite uncomfortable. So, so the CFO can be a huge support in that the CTO or CIO is, is not having to fight in isolation, if you like. Um, it's where you can bring that partnership and, and try to see where you can bring the, the the two worlds together to get the best outcome um, for the business. Yeah, and I'm pivoting slightly back to, to something you mentioned earlier um, about the role of the CFO. Um, you mentioned the kind of the dreaded waterfall and then moving to, to agile. Um, so w- when we think about the role of the CFO today and the top concerns, they're, they're pretty different to what they were five to 10 years ago. Um, it's no longer looking in that kind of rear view mirror, crunching numbers and reporting historical performance. Um, our former CFO actually uses the term CFO no to CFO go, which I quite like. Um, so it's gone from that traditional uh, CFO no, which is that perception of a CFO more often than not saying no to capital investments. You touched on that earlier to a more CFO go, which is this this new leader that's encouraging experimentation whilst mitigating risk and cost of failure. Um, what are you seeing um, in terms of the role of the CFO and, and the main changes? Yeah, I, I think this is a great question, and I do like the analogy of your, <laughs> your your CFO. If you if you think about legacy businesses and you go back a few years, um, I think what drew people to finance, I think what drew people to the CFO role in the main, and I'm oversimplifying it, was actually there was a lovely consistency to what businesses did. People were drawn to accounting and finance um, because it was rule-based, it was known, Mm. there was a way you did month end, there was a way you did budgeting, there was a way that you did planning, Um, the revenue models were well understood, the cost base was relatively um, stable, you know, pretty standard, you know, every year you'd have to drive a certain amount of productivity. 
Um, and you're right, there was a fair amount of um, analysing uh, of money that had already been um, spent or had occurred, right? And so it was this lovely, I think it, I think it really attracted mm. people who like structure um, and, and conservatism. And then we have just seen um, all aspects of our world um, completely turned on their heads. <laughs> and we have seen... Um, Revenue models completely disrupted. You think about going from advertising dollars to digital dimes. Yep. Um, you think about the way you engage with customers. You think about the way that you engaged in staff. And so suddenly, um, you know, if you were drawn to a role that was pretty standard and had a similar day ahead of you, mm. um, suddenly it might not have been the best role um, for you because actually what I like about my role now is there's actually not much that is standard. Um, what I like about it is most times I'm looking at something new. I'm looking at something different. Um, I might have seen varieties of it elsewhere, but chances are mm. um, it's new in this environment. And it goes to my point before that actually my main job, and I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't think I am or I should be valued because I'm, I'm great at numbers in a spreadsheet. Mm. My job has to be able to translate and communicate what does this disruption mean and how does the business need to potentially operate differently um, to be successful as a result. So that's, that's like a wildly different skill set, right? To someone who just needed to close the books every month. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying it, mm. but suddenly that is a completely radically different skill set that, that you are now, um, you know, and so it, it, therefore, I think that's where you are seeing people of, to my, um, to my earlier point, um, of non, technical backgrounds. And let me also be clear, the technical element of finance still is really important and has its time and its place, particularly in big listed companies, Absolutely. Uh, its regulatory requirements and so on and so forth. But increasingly, a very new skill set is required for those that really relish and get excited about the grey, about the unknown, about the actually the messiness I'm having to deal with here is not the numbers, but actually getting everyone comfortable with what this means. And so um, that's that's just a huge change um, in what's required in senior finance professionals. And, and so therefore, I think that's where you are seeing people that either have um, the diversity of experience or or that line management experience or they might have come from consulting backgrounds or kind of the complexity of M&A um, sitting in the CFO roles because they've got that experience of navigating change and disruption and just the messiness of it all that you put them in a role that's required with that and they're comfortable. They're not, they're not reverting back all the time to saying, I just want to analyze the numbers because that's where I feel safe. They're actually quite energized and excited by the fact that, you know, most days, if not weeks and months, have some type of learning curve. And, you know, there's the kind of people element that they really have to engage with. Yeah, totally agree. And switching gears slightly, um, 
very few CFO positions are actually held by women. So in the ASX 200 companies, there's only 16%. Um, and that uh, that data points from the senior executive con- uh, census analysis in 2019. But it's great to see ANZ Bank. Your exco is 50-50 gender balanced. Uh, if I if I'm right there, um, what advice would you give to women that are aspiring to become CFOs? Yeah, I I think this is um, this is a you know in in terms of women in leadership, I think is as again a, a, as a complex question as to tech transformations if they were easy we wouldn't be having this conversation in 2021 right yep <laughs> um and and i don't and i and i and i think it's not and I'll, I'll come to your question in a moment but i don't think this is just about as a female what do you do differently to be to, to you know to to get to where you want to get whether that's a, a cfo or um another senior destination i think um Companies on the whole have a lot of good intent, uh, but we can see that at most, um, in most professions, the entry levels and the kind of first few runs on the ladder tend to have that gender balance, mm. but then it falls away um, the more senior you get. And, and I don't think it's just the domain of the company to do better. I don't think it's just about saying to women, you need to work harder or, or lean in more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, unfortunately, as we sit here in 2021, um, it's much more structural than that. I think there are still aspects of our culture um, that t- kind of make that equality still really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as, as females, and I know this to be true myself, in, in the kind of construct of wanting a career, children, relationships, interests, friendships, broader family. Um, I think for women sometimes it's easier to say, do you know what? I'm I I I kind of I'm I'm prepared to pull back or sacrifice um going that hard in my career because actually this broader ecosystem matters more to me and and that being successful. And I know that's the case. As I mentioned, I've taken a career break mm. um, and then came back to find that Goldilocks role that was going to give me yeah. everything that I wanted. Um, what I will say and, and some great advice that I, I had back over 12 years ago at Macquarie Bank when I had my first child mm. um, was to, a bit like we talked about with tech projects, Invest in the infrastructure for it to be successful over the long term. Mm. I think that is no different to women who have other commitments. That's not just limited to um, children. That might be caring responsibilities or other. Invest in your infrastructure to support you over the long term because at a time in your career where perhaps you're not at your full earnings potential, it can feel really expensive um, to have the nanny or to have kind of other services around you. Yeah, I love that. A real long-term investment. Um, brilliant advice. Thanks, Lou. And what skills do you think then are required to be successful as a CFO? Yeah, so look, I, I think there's three. Um, I, I think more and more because you're seeing this, and 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 I know in an earlier chat, Chanya, again, I think ANZ is just a fantastic example of this of not just 
um, of its exec co where it's it's got that diversity not just in gender but in backgrounds but I look at what um, Michelle the group CFO has done at ANZ with her CFO group mm. um, and Michelle Michelle herself coming from a different background so, so I think the first thing I'd say is get diversity of experience um, I think unfortunately that kind of linear finance career path um, will certainly serve you in certainly some aspects of finance that we touched on before, um, but but I think will will ultimately limit how broad a perspective you can bring once you're in that senior role. So I think really don't be scared. And, and diversity of experience can come through a whole host of different ways. It can go, come from putting your hand up for projects. It can come from experiences outside of work. Mm. So I'm not um, recommending people go from law to operations to banking to run radio stations to do a startup, and that's the only – that's what I mean by diversity. <laughs> um, diversity, can having that kind of broader perspective can come lots of ways. I think the second thing we've already touched on is mm. um, actually I'd say this to any C-suite executive, the CFO is no different. Um, technology will continue to radically change the way the business operate and, and they serve their communities and their customers. You've got to get under the hood and you've got to understand it. You can't be a bystander in this and it can't be something else that someone worries about. Um, and also I think what's awesome when you have the CFO title and not a tech title is you're allowed to ask a silly question. <laughs> um, you're allowed to kind of question, yeah. tell me more, and not and not be embarrassed. I love it, right? So so kind of get that deep understanding. And I and I think the third thing is we talked about earlier in the in in the call the amount of value a CFO can bring beyond the numbers when they've got that perspective taking. Um, capacity, right? When they've got the time and space mm. to take that more global view and say, hang on, are we really set up for success or are we really going at the right pace? And the only way a CFO is successful to do that is if they've got the right infrastructure to support them. Yeah, spot on. Totally agree with those those three. And um, to close out, Luke, could you share with us your biggest learning um, on leading a business transformation to date? So my biggest learning, and it's something that after a break I could really apply to this role, is I find I get far more done successfully mm. if I just operate at a sustained pace as opposed to that those peaks and troughs of of going hard, then a break, then gearing yourself to go hard again. Um, so how do you bring that consistency? Yeah, thanks for sharing. So Lou, it's been so great having you on the podcast. Um, I really hope you can come back soon. I feel like we've got so much more we could talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. 